From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, May 28th. A requirement that Grand County students and teachers wear masks in the classroom will remain in place through the end of the school year. Earlier this month, Utah Governor Spencer Cox surprised local districts when he gave them the option of removing their mask mandates during the last week of school. At the time, Grand County Superintendent Taryn Kay described his announcement like getting tackled on the one-yard line. Had he not done this, uh, we'd have just finished the year and it wouldn't have increased any divisiveness in the community. Masks are known to significantly reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19 in concert with social distancing practices and frequent sanitization. But like everything else in this pandemic, the science has been getting lost in the politics, especially here in Utah. State legislators recently banned public schools and universities from requiring face masks this fall, despite protests that the measure infringes on local control over public health decisions. Although they've consistently recommended health measures in line with the CDC, according to Kay, even the Southeast Utah Health Department chose not to weigh in on the district's decision about masks in the last week of school. Here's Kay during Wednesday's Board of Ed meeting. Our local health department, they said um, that they're not going to make a public statement or stand, but they'll support the district. That left board members and administrators sifting through roughly 100 emails of public comment from teachers, parents, and community members, all weighing in with their opinion about masks during the last week of school. In a bit of levity during Wednesday's meeting, board member Steve Kennedy described the feeling of reading through all those arguments. If you read the emails, I had this experience and took a whole pot of coffee. I was shaking so bad I couldn't read. So it was kind of a tough morning, but I would read an argument to get rid of the mask. Like, yes, and then the next one would be let's keep it in place. Yes, and so I put on another top pot of coffee, and I'm thinking, man, I think I might be sick for Wednesday's meeting. <laughs> Ultimately, he and the majority of board members voted four to one to keep masks in place through the end of the year. Students can remove them outside, but inside the classrooms, they must remain on. The Board of Ed's reasoning largely came down to the high transmission rates in Grand County and the hundreds of still unvaccinated students. District administrators say that half of all positive student cases have occurred in the last two months. For board member and physician Kathy Williams, this tells a story of more contagious variants. We do know that the variants are here um, and they are more contagious so that it used to be not everybody in a household. If you had a positive, if you had a positive family member, not everybody in that household, for some reason, didn't get sick. But now we're seeing that if you have a positive household, pretty much everybody in the household is also positive. So I just feel like that's just another reason to just keep us wearing masks for the last eight days of school. Students ages 12 and up are eligible for the Pfizer vaccine. But according to District Info, just 25 percent of that eligible student population has received their first dose. And board member Ariel Atkins pointed out that hundreds of students remain ineligible for the vaccine. The CDC recommends that unvaccinated people wear masks indoors. We have 700 elementary school students that can't be vaccinated. So I think that's another reason to wear masks. 
Masks will remain in place for indoor activities like classroom settings and buses. The mask requirement will be lifted in outdoor settings like graduation. The last day of school for Grand County students is June 11th. Lately, the Moab Chamber of Commerce has been hosting community conversations they say are meant to brainstorm solutions to some of Moab's most pressing challenges. They've had discussions on UTVs, noise ordinances, and land use codes. And now these business owners and their representatives are talking workforce shortages. The workforce shortage in in and of itself, I I see it as a multi-tiered problem for sure. Um, And definitely housing is a big piece of it. But this season, even more than any other, that has been the number one challenge that that I've heard of um, businesses struggling with. Moab Chamber of Commerce Director Lacey Shumway, she said for some time she's been hearing among their membership how difficult it is to attract and retain employees. Their next series of chamber chats will focus in on this problem. Today in the news, we check in with Shumway about these conversations. And she starts off by explaining the current workforce supply and demand. Um, there's been huge wage increases just this year, um, you know, in competition for for employees. And we just simply do not have the numbers, you know, to fill the jobs. I mean, and if you think about it, you know, we've added, you know, at least three hotels opening up just this year in 2021. And if each hotel is employing 80 to 100 people, you know, that's that's a lot of new jobs opening up. And we we just aren't growing as a community. We aren't bringing in that many people, you know, each year to fill those jobs. So it's just kind of a simple supply and demand kind of problem at the rate we're growing business versus our residential base. And so um, so then naturally it leads to the housing um, issue because if we need to bring people in, then we need to to address the housing issue. Mm. A couple other things that are definitely um, contributing to the workforce issue is the lack of J-1 visas with the world shut down. Yeah. <laughs> um, ho- uh, many hotels will use that program for seasonal employees. Um, and that's quite a few people that, that take advantage of that. Those visa programs have definitely made an impact, or I guess the lack of them have made a huge impact during COVID. So, so it's just compounded. We've added new business, you know, our, our workforce. There's there's quite a few people that we've tapped into before that now we can't. And um, housing and, you know, there's been a little bit of talk about the unemployment benefits, if that's contributing, which I think to a, to a certain degree it does, but I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's even in the top three probably, um, but definitely a little bit of a factor. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think that's just a little bit of a cultural change in that everybody's now you know, I can work from home and that's what I want. (laughs) And, you know, so a little bit of a cultural change as well. When you're, when these businesses are, business owners are talking, like, have they been adapting in some way? Not opening for as many hours or that sort of thing? Yeah, I've noticed it most within the the restaurant industry or, or food services. There are restaurants that have been closing one to two days a week or, you know, smaller food service places who even just have to close unplanned because something comes up or, you know, another another piece that is contributing to this is if some if an employee 
test positive for coronavirus, that affects, you know, hugely these smaller businesses of, of what employees they even have to tap into that they do have hired um, before they get tested. And I mean, there's just so many pieces to this. So definitely there are people who are having to close because just being understaffed. Um, and then there are, you know, other businesses who are having to maybe adjust hours a little bit, maybe not close completely, but adjust their hours, maybe not stay open as long as or as late as they would. You know, I know like City Market, I mean, they've been kind of gearing up on this for a while, but they've got this scan and go is definitely an adjustment for, for workforce. I do think businesses are doing their best to accommodate, but it, it's having an effect. Okay, so it sounds like it's the pressure that is the Moab economy in the first place and our housing pressures, but also like this year especially is difficult with coronavirus on top of it. Absolutely. Okay, do you want to talk about anything else as far as like the ongoing conversation? You said there's going to be another one next week. Yeah, so um, next week, June 3rd at noon, we'll we'll have another I believe it'll still just be Zoom for now, conversation on the short-term workforce housing um, solutions and ideas. And we really, we invite anybody to hop on that, that, you know, wants to be a part of that conversation and really focus on solutions. You know, I think we've, we've nailed down a lot of pieces of the problem. So really just trying to get creative and think outside of the box and see if there's ways you know, even if we need to suggest to our local governments ways that we can, you know, if we need to look at restrictions and codes and whatnot kind of ideas. So come with your solutions. And then um, eventually what we're hoping to do, our website is not set up for this now, but we are, it's currently in the works, just looking to be able to provide kind of a one-sheeter of, of all of those things that were discussed in solutions and whatnot, and then we can move forward. We have lots of topics in the works for these discussions. You know, there's the Arches Reservation System is, is something that I'm sure is of interest to businesses, kind of a UTV follow-up type thing of what, you know, what did happen and, and here's what it means for your business. But if there's anything that businesses want to discuss or see, you know, they see a topic that they think would be great for these discussions, they can always just email me and we can we can add it to the list. Moab Chamber of Commerce Director Lacey Shumway. Shumway's email and more information on the workforce shortage chamber chats can be found in the show notes of today's news on our website and podcast. And now let's head to the weekly newsreel where we speak to reporters and editors about the latest stories they covered in our area. The Times Independent is publishing a series on Moab's housing and job crises. This week, they've zeroed in on housing. Editor Doug McMurdo has more. Reporters uh, Carter Poppy and Sophia Fisher have both done a, a bang-up job. Carter this week did a, a, a deep, deep dive into housing plans that were passed uh, in 2017 and how much progress has been made in completing those plans the news has got not good. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not even halfway done um, with bringing in what they want to do. Uh, Sophia, on the other hand, she reached out to officials in Vail, Colorado, mm-hmm. and Aspen, Colorado, and Park City to see what they're doing. What kind of innovative solutions have they come up with? And uh, as Sophia points out, you know, Moab has already attempted some of these and haven't attempted others. It's all about, you know, incentivizing developers. Mm-hmm. The, the question, uh, as you know, the city of Moab is deeply involved in the housing issue. 
financially. I mean, they're they're committed to it to the tune of several million dollars for the specific Walnut Lane for project. Walnut, for the Walnut yeah. Lane project, and um, they have the same situation going on in Vail, Colorado, and elsewhere. It's one thing to recognize a problem. Mm -hmm. It's quite another to figure out what to do about it, and especially these intractable problems that uh, government seems to get mired in uh, constantly. And uh, there are no easy answers, but there is there is hope on the horizon. They're seeing mm -hmm. progress in those, uh, those other resort cities. So it's definitely worth uh, picking up the paper and just reading these two stories if you don't read anything else. So Carter you know, kind of explored what the target dates were from the original mob area affordable housing plan back in 2017. Um, he's showing in his reporting that the target dates have been missed. And then Sophia is kind of exploring solutions in her parallel article from other areas. This is really important stuff. I think, you know, to have this kind of track record for the community. And um, this is in a response to a phone call that I got uh, Tuesday afternoon. The newspaper is doing this because it's a real problem, mm -hmm. and it's a newspaper's job to shed light on these problems. We don't think that we are smarter than the government <laughs> officials. We don't uh -huh. think that we have a better plan. We think that they're doing a great job. They're working hard. Mm -hmm. We're just more eyes looking at the same problem. And I think, you know, with all the, the community-based coverage about, oh, well, here's the affordable housing plan. Here's the other, you know, high-density high housing ordinance. It's, it's nice to take a broader look at, like, where are we? Instead of having, you know, these weekly reports, it's nice to, the reporters took time to look at the bigger picture. Right. I think that they've done a really good job, and it's, uh, it's a story that needs to be told. Like I said, if uh, if you look at last week's paper, uh, you can literally walk a, a block and uh -huh. count uh, 15, 20 help-wanted signs downtown. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. So part three is next week? Part three is next week, and we are going to look at more expert perspectives, and then we're also going to uh, look at data. Carter is um, a data nerd, and I'm sure he'll come up with some nuggets that we can chew on. Okay, well, where do you want to take us next, Doug? Two things are on the front page that indicate we are slowly getting back to whatever the new normal is going to be sure. post-pandemic. The Moab City Council held its first in-person meeting in 441 days, <laughs> Wow! Tuesday night. The meeting was a pretty low-key affair. There was uh, some emotion. There was some drama, but nothing really uh, out of the ordinary. Okay. I think the, the biggest piece of uh, news to come out was the city approved sending a letter in support of the Moab and Spanish Valley 2050 transportation plan. Okay. There's 14 projects for Moab that are in there. We've got a traffic light coming to 200 north in Maine. We've got a roundabout coming at 400 east and 100 west. Now, these are all things that are, you know, they're in the plan. That doesn't mean that they're going to be built right. or even funded or anything like that, but they are in the plan. So these mm -hmm. are all mm -hmm. a wish list type of thing, but um, priorities are being what they are. I believe that traffic light at 200 North in Maine, it will definitely take place. Mm -hmm. And I believe another traffic light will be put up in the county on the highway and uh, Spanish Trail Road. Now, it took a little while for the city council to get to this point to, you know, support this plan, which is a state, which is a UDOT plan. That's because at one point the plan did include the notion of a bypass. Correct. And I, I have a feeling when you mentioned that there was some drama that... <laughs> It was around the bypass. Is that right? It, it was. Um, Council member Karen uh, Guzman-Newton has consistently 
uh, encouraged her peers on the council not to remove that project from the plan for no other reason that it doesn't hamstring future councils. Somebody might come up with a feasible plan to build a bypass at some point. Uh, but any, anyway, uh, Karen and uh, Mayor Pro Tem Tony Knudsen Boyd, they just argued civilly on whether or not that would happen. Tony doesn't believe that future councils will be impacted. She, she said it was it was taken out uh, by this council and could be put back in by mm-hmm. another council. And these plans, I mean. Uh, one thing about planning that never ends. Um, yeah. The government loves to plan, so I expect uh-huh. that we'll, uh, we might even have a spaceport in Moab's <laughs> plan in the future. Don't so. say that. You're going to get people riled up. <laughs> Sounds like the city council approved it. The bypass is not in that plan as the Times Independent had reported previously. So it's all it's a document to be uh, acted on in the future. <laughs> right. And uh, much like the Constitution, it is a living document. It, it can be changed at, at any given time. Right. And you mentioned that there are a couple of things on the front page that shows us returning to some sort of normalcy. Um, I have a feeling it's the free summer concert series. Yes. The Moab Folk Festival and um, others have partnered to bring the free concert series back. It's going to be, instead of being every Friday in July, there'll be a concert June, another one in July, and finally a third in August. And we're going to start off June 11th with Bonnie Payne and Bridget Law of the band Elephant Revival. Oh, wow. So that will be pretty cool. And then folk singer and comedian Steve Poltz uh, comes in on July 30th, and the act for August has not yet been announced. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Very neat. I think at our one of our latest staff meetings, KZMU gave the okay to do a simulcast. Yes. Um, as we've done before. Um, so you'll also be able to tune in on KZMU when those concert dates are happening as yeah. well, if you can't make it to the park. Yeah. I, I think of all the things that I missed during the pandemic besides you know, human touch mm-hmm. was um, <laughs> uh, live music. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I was really happy when Quicksand Soup Mm-hmm. resumed playing at the Backyard Theater downtown a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. That was, um, I've seen them a couple of times now, and it was really fun. Yeah, that is something that was sorely missed, and musicians have been uniquely affected during the pandemic. Very exciting that they were able to, to make the summer concert series happen in a different way, but still happen. Yes. Um, where do you want to take us next, Doug? Well, let's finish off with some great news. We all have a reason to be proud of one of our own. Okay. Um, High school senior Kyla Ricks finished out her athletic career as a Red Devil in spectacular fashion, winning two state titles, uh, one in the 1600 and uh, one in the 3200, uh, long-distance racing. She's a three-peat in both of these events. She would be a four-peat, according to Ron Dolphin, had she been allowed to uh, compete last year during COVID, which, oh, wow. which you know, they couldn't. Uh, and I believe she's also got a couple of state titles in cross-country. So a oh. uh, very elite runner uh, from a, a running family. Uh-huh. We have a photo of Kyla on uh, the bottom of uh, the B1, and uh-huh. it's it tells the story. There's Kyla several furlongs <laughs> ahead of, <laughs> of um, a group of, of uh, competitors. It really tells uh, uh, the story of just how dominant of a runner she is. So way to go, Kyla. Doug McMurdo, editor of The Times Independent. Subscription info and more coverage can be found at moabtimes.com. A Highway 191 bypass was once again rehashed during Moab City's latest council meeting. 
As previously reported, both the city and county formally approved the Moab and Spanish Valley Regional Transportation Plan put together by UDOT. Approvals were given after a bypass project was removed from that plan. But this issue continues to haunt transportation conversations. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News joins us for more from their latest edition. Some of the discussion that I found interesting for elected officials that are, have been for and against this notion of a bypass is that some people wanted in the plan just to put it there as a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people who want to take it out say, hey, it can always be put back in. So it's not like they're destroying the notion of the bypass by removing it. It's kind a of- meta conversation. <laughs> right. Right? This is essentially, you know... <laughs> This is definitely perhaps a a city council disruption caused by a theoretical Highway 91 bypass in a way. Mm -hmm. But really, if you look at it, this particular one Mm -hmm. was a meeting that slightly got a little derailed just by the concept of how to talk Mm -hmm. about a controversial issue. And, you know, perhaps this, you know, it could be a stand in for for any controversial issue is is. How do you deal with something that feels very large and can feel um, intractable? Basically, there's problems with infrastructure. There's problems with traffic management, with rebuilding roads, with coming up with non-motorized sort of pathways and Mm -hmm. um, bike-friendly infrastructure. There's all of this modernization to do. um, And these are incredibly important projects. You know, you can be sympathetic with this one hypothetical project that, to be frank, you know, the city council, the county council, all of these agencies have some stake in, but are not the final decider on that issue. So taking up a whole lot of time Mm -hmm. (laughs) must be extremely frustrating. However, that frustration for council member Karen Guzman-Newton just doesn't warrant sort of um, voluntarily muzzling um, the council on this particular issue. Well, it'll be interesting to see any one of these bullet points that are in the regional transportation plan um, be put into action. And as the Mobs and News had, I believe it was in their last edition, you know, other transportation plans mm-hmm. that are lo- local, that are city and county based, yeah. um, are also supposed to come to fruition. We mm-hmm. have, you know, a study on a shuttle system. Yes. We have multimodal transportation. In this regional transportation plan, I'm now remembering, you know, there's plans for frontage roads along yes. 191. So yeah. there are all these different things that are sort of uh, coalescing right now. I mean, that's sort of the issue in a lot of ways with this area is that it's a it's an area that is like very rapidly modernizing because of of just how many people are here. And, you know, our, our local elected officials, the population here is still not that large year round, mm. but they're dealing with the problems of, you know, a major city. Um, I, we should note, too, what's interesting, I've noticed that there's a new way of covering city council and county commission meetings in the Mobs and News. Can you touch on that? Sure. Thank you um, for noticing. <laughs> So yeah, you know, as a local newspaper, covering local government is a huge um, moral issue. Um, it's really important to be able to have transparency in, in local government and to be able to um, just provide information on decisions that are being made to mm-hmm. or our residents that might not be able to attend meetings or, mm-hmm. you know, sit even if you're watching the Zoom, maybe you can't sit through the whole thing. Just because you can't sit through Zoom does not mean that you should not have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to understand sort of decisions that are being made that that impact you. 
So council coverage is something that we remain like incredibly committed to, but you know, it doesn't always make for a good story. Sometimes decisions are being made on a very kind of granular or mm-hmm. small issue as often happens in, in planning and zoning decisions. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps this issue is sort of um, a placeholder or something that was briefly discussed, but no decision was being made. For us at the newspaper, a long article that is well-researched and that we, you know, kind of call a bunch of stakeholders and get them to weigh in, that, you know, requires a lot of staff time. Mm -hmm. And we we love doing it, but we couldn't possibly do it for all the agenda items. So at the paper, the way that we're we're dealing with that in general is by reserving sort of our front page coverage for things that, you know, we're able to devote that that staff time to and that that expertise, frankly. Um, And then we're also including um, in our interior coverage sort of a breakdown of other decisions that were made at, at council broken down so that you can like pretty quickly parse them. Um, and, you know, we're always going to include information for folks about when the next meeting is and, and how they can um, remain involved. I think this is really neat on, you know, in this latest edition of The Sun, you know, the, the inside of the paper has budget, e-bikes on Moab trails, a pay plan for city staff, and just, you know, a few mm-hmm. paragraphs on each one and a report on what happened during the meeting. Yeah. And I mean, this is like really important for us too. And on the editorial side, because like e-bikes, that's like on our list of big, long stories sure. that we want to write, but mm-hmm. we couldn't quite get to it this week. We're going to call trail mix. We're mm-hmm. going to call perhaps like, you know, um, someone at the state level, we have to call someone at, at public lands kind of do a little bit of research and really get kind of that full contextual picture, those sure. those deep dives that we really like providing our readers. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of that those uh, those chocolate chip cookies weren't baked yet. Right. Well, um, these are like the chocolate chips yes. that you eat yeah. before you bake the cookies. Exactly. And so like if you are a chocolate chip lover, <laughs> i.e. you are someone who's like, you cannot give me enough information <laughs> on e-bikes, then we want to be able to provide you that timely information and say like, hey, uh-huh. this was a thing. Right. If you're really into like e-bike policy, like you should know about this. But you know, this also really comes up for again planning and zoning stuff that sometimes is of great concern to a, a neighborhood but perhaps at the time hasn't risen to the to mm-hmm. the, um, the level of a concern for everyone in the community well thanks maggie for breaking that down and before we go i was hoping you could mention one more piece that's in the moab sun news this week as listeners might know running is medicine indigenous youth prayer run came through moab um once again yeah i think running is medicine is really cool just because one, it's like awesome that it comes through town here. Mm. But also I think it's interesting because each runner, I would say, has a different like personal motivation. Overall, like the the run is about sort of promoting solidarity and also like promote global healing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That we're coming out of um, the pandemic when, you know, folks felt isolated. It's certainly a, a divisive time. There's a lot of challenges that we as a society are facing. And by, by going and doing like this physical kind of exertion you know there's such a interesting and long history and so many mm-hmm. cultures of sort of endurance athletes and running in these these like large mm-hmm. significant um, pieces of physical exertion it's a really interesting example of that you know we all have like kind of like fun runs that are to raise awareness of specific cancer mm-hmm. and this is like a little bit more i would say philosophical it's not a competition it's mm-hmm. not like some sort of 
um, like challenge um, mm-hmm. that people do. This is using movement um, mm-hmm. as a form of healing or as a form of yeah meditation. Yeah, almost for and that's what these runners were doing from Bears Ears all the way to Warm Springs Park. Mm-hmm. Um, in Salt Lake City, and they came through Moab. Anything to say on their their Moab stop as they were coming through? Um, just that you know, I think we weren't able to mention it sort of in the article, but something that I found very encouraging is like we do sort of come into a, a new stage of like figuring out like how does life go on after a pandemic? Is mm-hmm. that um, as these indigenous runners were were coming into town, they were able to be guests of honor at a lunch hosted by local nonprofit, the Full Circle Intertribal Center. And when I had spoken to Kristen Ramirez Marsh, the executive director of Full Circle, you know, she had mentioned that this was the, the first time that they were able to have like kind of a public in-person event where they were able to prepare food. And that's just, it felt really just awesome to hear that, mm-hmm. you know, particularly for Full Circle, who's, you know, kind of preparing food mm-hmm. and having sort of um, um, public and shared events has been a, a real cornerstone of, of why they, that organization formed right. and, and how they want to continue. It mm-hmm. just, um, it felt really wonderful to, to hear that. That's a good point because they are very focused on that mm-hmm. sort of community building with um, indigenous people in our area. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that gets done over food, yeah. over traditional uh, traditional food making. And this last year, they've been really focused on making COVID kits for their yeah. elders or like taking, taking that healing to people, individuals who are separated from each other. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because it, it kind of dovetails with that idea of the run is mm-hmm. that that sometimes simple joys of, of running or of preparing food for, for people that you love and care about and being able to share that those experiences are the, the simple joys that are the, mm-hmm. the cornerstone of how we're all able to go on in the world. <laughs> oh, you know? so true. Right? Yeah. How we all feel connected or safe or mm-hmm. heard or seen, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I would say, you know, Um, that at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, that that was something that's incredibly encouraging. Maggie McGuire, publisher and editor of the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more coverage can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we speak with newspaper reporters and editors about the most recent stories they covered in our area. Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.